0: everyone. Volume 3, issue 127 of Kane and Rince. We're here to talk about the post-apocalyptic sequel to Metro 2033, Metro Last Light. Um, but before we get into that, play along with Kane and Rince, Volume 3. The next five issues of this podcast will be a podcast on Burnout and Burnout 2, Point of Impact... New Super Mario Brothers series, um, ending our Super Mario uh, ongoing podcasts. Portal 2, Hitman Blood Money, and Burnout Free Takedown. Head over to com for the full schedule. Uh, you'll find links to our merchandise store, Facebook, Google+, and YouTube account there. Uh, please subscribe and review and rate us on iTunes also. Uh, joining me, Joshua Garrity, in this issue is the amazing James Carter. Uh,
1: undeserved, but but thank you.
0: The magnificent Darren Foreman.
2: Beautiful friends, it's been way too long.
0: And making his Cane and Rinse debut, Brian Tarrant. Uh, welcome, Brian. Thank you. Pleased to be here. Cool. So, uh, we've already covered Metro 2033 on issue 77 of kane and Rince. Uh, I wasn't on that podcast, but I know James Carter was. Yep. Um, just before we go get into our histories of this game, a, a bit of a interesting backstory with this game is that the original publisher, THQ uh THQ uh entered chapter 11 bankruptcy and there was a point where um it looked like uh, metro last light was going to be canceled before it was uh sold to uh deep silver in uh, uh, january uh, last year um that that was a bit of a scary time for metro fans i don't uh james you you were a fan of the original one were you mm. uh keeping up with this news at the time
1: It was just such a weird situation because obviously... the game was due to come out in 2012. It, it was essentially finished and then it was just shelved until the THQ situation was was mm. sorted out, uh, which arguably gave 4 Games some more time to work on it. But yeah, it's just a really strange situation because Metro was kind of this sort of sleeper game that um, through various sales and, and Steam sales and the like had, had garnered this sort of fairly small fan base, but um, it had got a lot of applaud it for the atmosphere and the graphics and, and the way the, the the world the game presented um, and so as much as I'm not a fan of sequels for sequels sake I was looking forward to what 4A games could learn and there was a lot to learn from Metro 2033 uh, and, and how could, they could improve Metro Last Light and so to see this game teeter on the brink of perhaps never coming out uh, just seemed like a very strange situation and um, and it was amongst a lot of other uh, THQ studios and properties that were all in limbo for, for a long time and it seemed to be a long time coming there was a six month period or so where it seemed like THQ just had just were their uh, death if you like was being dragged out um, and then the auctions finally came around as, as you say uh, a little over a year ago now and um, Deep Silver, or I guess more fully Cock Media, w- was an odd place for them to end up. It's, it seemed, I suppose, um, but uh, along with with um, Saints Row franchise and and Volition, um, Cock Media seemed to want to uh, to branch out and and expand themselves, and they used the THQ auction to do so, which was. Strange times, but it, it's nice to have seen Metro Last Light come to uh, come too light, as it were.
0: So, right, let's get into our histories uh, with this particular title. Um, seeing as you've already talked about some of the history of the game itself, James, mm. you might as well um, uh, start. Uh, we might as well start with you and your history with the game
1: uh yeah i i um i played metro 2033 i think about six months after it came out and i played it on xbox 360 um this was uh a little while before i'd got a pc that was worthy of playing it but i eagerly booted up metro 2033 that was one of the first games i i um installed and played on my pc when i got it a couple of years ago now um and it's it's quite a stunning game on pc um but it does have its problems. When we did the Metro 2033 show, we, we talked quite a bit about the fact that the difficulty wasn't quite right, that there were issues and bugs and, and things you would associate with a PC game, perhaps from uh, a developer from the part of the world that 4A games come from, uh, the Stalker series being an obvious uh, comparison to make. Um, but everything they had to say about Last Light in the, in the build-up to it, being released or you know throughout its uh, long development uh, just sounded really interesting. So um, I picked this up uh, on PC the day it came out um, and just didn't get around to playing it, really oddly. Uh, other stuff got in the way, let's face it, Dark Souls got in the way. Um, so <laughs> I, I ended up playing it uh, over the past few days. Um, it's really strange to have eagerly anticipated a game and then just wait until I was in a position where I kind of had to play it for this podcast that's never ne- never necessarily a good way to play a game you know under that kind of pressure um but uh but yeah it eagerly tucked back in when I finally did get around to it
0: cool okay uh Darren Foreman please uh, tell us your history with the game
2: yeah well my history with Metro well the series is it's nothing particularly special i mean like i bought the first game largely on a whim just because I had money burning a hole in my pocket, and I saw Metro 2033 sitting on still shelves and I thought it looked interesting, you know? Like the post-apocalyptic certain, And there was some certain amount of, um, I suppose, discussion about the game online, saying that it was really atmospheric. You know, they were trying to make a more atmospheric shooter than uh, might be typical. So I uh, took it home, thoroughly enjoyed it, and I was quite looking forward to Last Light. And it just so happened that um, I got offered it for review from uh, com. Okay, Brian?
3: Yeah, I was uh, eagerly anticipating uh, Metro 2033 I think I'd seen a lot of coverage in Edge Magazine and Eurogamer and so I was following it up until release and I'm pretty sure I bought it on release day I can't remember exactly now but it was one of those games where it promised so much different from the usual shooter that I thought uh, you know, this is something that I can really get into and I can really enjoy and I did, I, I played for it pretty quickly uh i didn't didn't go back through it again uh, i know there were reasons to return to it in terms of like the uh, the moral points in the story that you could uh, play around with but I, I i traded it in quickly and then when the news of metro last light came out i was i was watching it closely i wanted it to come out i was nervous around the time the uh thq collapse and sale was going on but for for whatever reason when the reviews came out for last light and they talked about some of the changes that had been made uh, to, I guess, broaden its appeal. I got a little concerned because I I liked some of the shakiness and the wonkiness of the first game. And I was a bit disappointed to think it might have been a bit too polished and that some of the rough edges might have been taken off and that might have made for a lesser game. So I, I, I left it for a long time and I only played it after listening to your podcast on Metro 2033. And I thought, you know, Probably worth giving this one a go.
0: Cool. Um I haven't completed Metro twenty thirty three. I'm ashamed not. to admit. <laughs> um I I like a lot of the ideas that were in that game, um, but unfortunately, for whatever reason, um it didn't end up uh, it didn't end up gelling with me entirely. I, I struggled with the controls a bit and I fought some of the uh, level design was a bit um, awkwardly mapped out.
2: And but, also to mention the fact that if you shot someone in the head at point-blank range, you might accidentally bruise their, their, uh, their boots. Yeah, <laughs>
0: exactly. That's hor- horrible. But, um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just... It's, it was one of those games that on paper sounded like it was made for me, but the end product... Um, Just Yeah, it didn't end up gelling with me. So I wasn't that excited for Metro Last Light. Um, I saw some trailers for it and the thing that's striking about Metro Last Light, um, and I'm sure we'll get into that later, is how good it looks. like, visually, um, all the trailers, like, really... I went, whoa, that's a huge improvement over the uh, original game, and the original game was no slouch on the PC um, anyway, so it was pretty impressive. But I I just kept thinking, well, it, that, that stuff wasn't the thing I had the problem with uh, in the original Metro. Um, it was the combat, it was just some of the level design. So I kind of... yeah, I just kind of... Forgot about it um, until it came out, and uh, a lot of people I trust started giving it um, good write-ups, and and there was some good word of mouth around it. Um, and I didn't buy it day one, but I did eventually pick it up cheap on the PC, which you know that that you know two months later everything goes down to like twenty twenty quid on PC or lower than that sometimes. So. Um, yeah, I did eventually pick it up. And so, anyway, uh, the game was developed, uh, both games were developed by 4A Games, and this was, um, released May 14th in the US and May 17th, uh, in the EU. Um, so I think it's important to set up this game. We kind of need to talk about the ending of, uh, Metro 2033. Um, uh, I'm, Quite aware that uh, a few people listening to this podcast po- possibly haven't listened to the Metro twenty thirty three game. Uh, it just seems like uh, from people I've talked to, uh, a lot of people, uh, for a lot of people, Metro Last Light was their first Metro game. So, James, I I kinda would like you, mm. seeing as you're the Metro expert here, <laughs> to talk about the um ending of metro 2033 and yeah. uh, how it sets up for the beginning of last light
1: um yeah so uh, ostensibly at the end of metro 2033 um there were there were a good and bad ending um the bad ending is the ending that the vast majority of people would have got um in order to get the good ending there were countless inflection points throughout the game which are essentially moral choices but they're not presented as moral choices it's the little things you had to do in the game and in all honesty in order to get the good ending you had to do the vast majority of them and in order to do all of those you would need a guide to get it so it's almost not a good and bad ending so much as an ending and a hidden ending um I ran through Metro 2033 with a guide to make sure I got that. We're talking about stuff like... The obvious stuff is, occasionally, a couple of spots in the game, someone would ask you for money, and if you gave them the money, the screen would flash white, and that would be a good uh,
2: choice that you had made. Give that little gutter a bullet.
1: Exactly, yeah. Um, other, other times, you would have to uh, just listen to a conversation or knock on all the doors in one of the little city areas you go to really strange but that's what you had to do um and and the the total of these I I can't remember numbers wise but you had to do a large number of them and what that would do is at the end it would give you another choice um so the the end of the game that most people have seen is that Artyom who is a regular human, but he has this connection to these Dark Ones, which aren't the same as mutants in the Metro universe, mutants being mutated animals um, that attack the player. Dark Ones um, can render most humans uh, unconscious, therefore humans don't like them very much, Um, but they are these almost ethereal beings uh, that can communicate with Arteon. Uh, And at the end of the game, it's your mission, and uh, the regular ending is to... To fire a missile down at the nest of these Dark Ones, essentially wiping them out Um, the good ending gave you the opportunity to stop that missile launch um, and to embrace the Dark Ones as uh, not an enemy but an ally of human beings Um, there was no indication as to which the better ending necessarily was um, just that you had that choice at the end Um, And it wasn't until um, Metro Last Light came out that um, 4A Games obviously had to make a choice and and the writers had to make a choice as to which they would take as the canonical ending to go forward. It's basically explained right at the beginning of Metro Last Light which ending that is. um, Mm. And that is that Artyom fired the missile. So the the canonical ending is the quote-unquote bad ending uh, for Metro 2033.
3: I was pleased they made that choice because mm. when I did look at the the, the moral inflection points that you, you talked about about having to go yeah. through, I, I thought there it, it was far too many. And they they felt so vague and arbitrary. Oh, absolutely, uh, they were, they were very I, yeah. It, very it seemed nice. like a nice idea, maybe one for the hardcore fans. And you know, obviously the the series of books does have a big following, but I just felt you know for a regular player, I thought that was probably a bit too much of an ask.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm. Yeah and and this game kind of does that as well um there are more obvious kind of moral choices yeah. throughout uh, this game but there there was a section where you had to play a guitar in this game and that counted towards a moral point i believe and stuff like that yeah. it's um yeah, it's a bit. It's that silly, sort of stuff. But...
1: I mean, there's obvious ones like win a teddy at a competition and go and return it to the boy who's lost his teddy. Yeah, yeah. Um, Actually,
3: and, I and quite it... like that. I thought that that yeah. felt more like a side quest type of thing than yeah. than just knocking yeah. on a door.
0: I, I just I, I i feel uncomfortable with the idea that that uh, dictates the ending. I get though. I really like it as like a. Um, you know, just l- like a small moment in that world, a bit of world building, but to have the ending of the game uh, be dictated by whether I gave a little boy a teddy or not <laughs> is a bit much yeah. and the fact um, that you especially- had
2: to kill a bunch of rats to get that teddy
0: yeah, yeah and, as- and you know especially when you consider how dramatically different the two endings to this game are, yeah um, I, I feel like we need to, uh, you know, step back a bit here and actually talk about the setup of the ge- the game. So you start out the game, and um, a a new dark one is detected in the area that you had just uh, uh, bombed, basically. And um, you go into this area with uh, the cool. Uh, what's her name? Anna. It's Anna, Anna. Anna isn't yeah, Anna. it? Yes, Anna. And um, you go into this area, and you discover it's ba- it's a child dark one and um and it's scared of you and it's running away and a lot of the the plot of this game is you trying to track down this dark one and it feels like you're trying to make up for what you did in the first game um that 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 was um what you did was a mistake uh in the first game wiping out this race um What what were your feelings on the narrative as a whole? Um, I'm curious, because I have to be honest, um, I was interested in it at first, but it kind of lost me towards the end um, when it, uh, yeah.
2: The thing is, the central theme of this, like searching for the dark one, it kind of feels more just like a setup to put you in a bunch of really crazy situations, you know? Yeah. Like a lot of them are just wildly different scenarios that you find yourself in, just going from point A to point B. Then by hmm. point C, something completely crazy happens. And then one minute you could be in a, essentially a concentration camp. And then the next year, and you're basically running for your life in a boat from all these mutated piranhas that are trying to take you down. <laughs> and the the changes are so drastic that you t- I tended to lose track of the the core idea quite a lot. You know, they kind of had, had to try and reel me back in by tell me why I was doing everything that I was doing.
3: This is one of the reasons that, that made me hesitate in buying it, because it uh, it felt like it had been touched by the hand of COD a bit too much, you know, it was looking at all the screenshots and everything for it, it just felt like they'd turned everything up to 11. In a game that, you know, in the, in the original game was had quite a low-key story, and it was a low-key story about survival, and, when, and, you know, in this one we've got double agents, secret weapon facilities, you know, experimental mm-hmm. viruses, all this sort of stuff, and it, it felt a bit too Hollywood
2: I I... I I can certainly see why they did that and I mean I'm kinda glad they did because it introduced Pavel, who I thought was a great carter. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: he was. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Um I can't blame them for doing it, but I, I see where they're coming from, you know. The only thing is that really low key stories tend to not resonate with a broader audience. I mean, they were obviously aiming for broader appeal. But even though they did that, I did feel that They still nailed all the atmospheric kind of qualities that the first game had, more or less. Oh, absolutely. You know, like being able to sell that uh, world. Like, um, I can think of very few games that are able to immerse you in a world just quite as much as Metroid does. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I I, I agree entirely. Um, While I wasn't completely sold on the the story that this game was trying to sell, I was absolutely, uh, you know, enraptured by the world they created in this game. Um, both the you know horribly horribly dark and dank um railways and and stuff like that, and the surface the surface areas are fantastic um the way i just i i think the most amazing thing for me is the first time you put on your gas. Gas mask in this game. You go up to the surface, and you you know you it's raining, and uh, one of the ins- uh, things you can do is wipe your mask. Yeah. And something as simple as that, just wiping the muddy rain off your mask, completely immersed me in that world. Like it just it sold me. On the idea that I that this environment is dangerous and hostile, and I am in this mask, I am in this gas mask, and I depend on it for my survival. It was, it was a, a small touch, but it was a really clever one.
2: The thing is that they sell these kind of small moments so well as well. Like everything yeah. is just immaculately done. Um, so for instance, when you're wiping your gas mask, you can kind of feel that. The hollowness of it between you and the actual glass. Yeah, the sound, which, the sound is, is muffled, yeah, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, I think the other thing they do, which is really clever with that a particular touch, when you first wipe your hand across, it actually is harder to see, which is you know that streaky pattern you would get when you, you wiped a, a damp cloth across a window or something like that. Um, you would get that. You would get a streak, and then it clears. Um, and again, that little touch, that little just little realism, I suppose, that you are just smearing initially, and then as as the droplets kind of reform again, it clears over. Um, that's that's really good. Um, and the fact that before you have to change your filters, your mask starts steaming up, and the dr- condensation droplets arrive on it, and you hear you're breathing more because obviously the filters starting to get blocked. Stuff like that, uh, little touches um, that put that arguably could put a barrier between you and the gameplay that's the that's the point is that there is this barrier between you and the world of, of having this mask on you feel claustrophobic you can hear your breathing you can hear your heartbeat uh, more because it's sort of reverberating around inside the the gas mask it's all really clever stuff
2: and your watch um, is a hell of a lot better at telling you how much uh, air <laughs> you've got left in your filter this time out the, yeah.
1: the the watch Being a countdown, I think that's a pretty good example of a kind of concession made to people.
2: It really Uh, is. I mean, like, basically you're this hard-bitten survivalist, like, crawling around the tunnels of the metro, like, these dank, dangerous tunnels. And that watch would probably cost millions today, you know?
1: It's a magic watch you've got on your wrist,
2: It basically is. It tells you whether you're invisible or not, you know?
1: (laughs) I... I, I'm glad
0: it's there, though. Uh, um, you do need. I it. have. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. I, I know it, it. I know it's ridiculous, but just from a game game design point of view. Um, it, it was so useful in a yeah. way that in uh, Metro 2033, I did feel a bit lost. I, I, I have to be honest, and I, I'm probably going to sound like an idiot. I was never entirely sure when my gas uh, gas mask filter was finished in Metro 2033. A lot of people so I a kind problem. of just like guessed when it was done yeah. um, and changed it. Um, whereas with this one, so it was Same with yeah, when your gas mask clear. was
1: going to break as well. Um, that yeah. was always kind of up in the air. Um, just quickly on the narrative, I think when when I first started up Metro Last Light, something struck me, which was I'd already played through Metro twenty thirty three uh, and and got the the hidden ending. I'm not going to call it good ending because it's it's kind of ambiguous as to what the correct ending is to a certain extent, or at least no, if you call not it really. If, well, if you what I mean is if you call it the good ending, it makes like you said, Josh, it makes it feel like they made it uh or brian actually i think said it makes it feel like they made it unreasonably hard to get that good ending um and and very arbitrary and therefore it, it makes it feel like the the designers of the game are kind of cheating you out of getting the good ending um if it's a hidden ending that's something different you expect to have to jump through hoops you expect it to be difficult to get a hidden ending um And I think it is even more backed up by the fact that the canonical ending was the quote-unquote easy ending. Um, Okay, so
2: you got the hidden good ending. I got the
1: hidden good ending. So the start of Last Light essentially wipes that hidden ending clean. And what it says is, everything that you learned if you got the hidden ending, because uh, the dark ones relate to you differently towards the end of the game in 2033... We're going to make an entire game out of relearning that lesson that if you already got the Hidden Ending to 2033, you already know. You already know that the Dark Ones aren't trying to threaten you, you already know they're trying to communicate with you, you already know humanity's making a mistake by trying to kill them. Now we're going to retell that entire story and if you got the Hidden Ending, shrug. Tough luck. kind of felt a little cheap. It kind of felt like they took the last 20 minutes of Metro 2033 and said now play 12 hours of that a little bit Um, They redeemed that I think throughout the course of it by having this high octane Hollywood-esque action film kind of story going on because what it did was allow you to focus on the bits of text the passages of text that you get through the notes which as a collectible don't make a lot of sense um and also through the the in between chapters the text that artyom reads uh in between each chapter they actually put a lot of focus on that because that allows you to keep the thread of what's going on through the story which i think yeah. is smart given that it's based on a book what they're saying is the moment to moment doesn't really allow you to concentrate on what you're doing you're just trying to stay alive in this incredibly hostile environment and then mm. in the breaks and the lulls when you go to these towns and the cities and speak to people that's when you get to reflect on what's actually going on and where you're going and what you're doing and how the world around you is treating you and also the dark ones and and each other essentially because a lot of this is about how humanity treats itself um so I, I at first blush i didn't like what they did with the narrative which was to say okay forget that you learned this lesson last time. We're now going to teach everyone this lesson this time. Um, so they open with telling Artium's backstory that you didn't really get in 2033. Um, yeah. And I, I, I to and fro on whether that's really poignant and useful because it's about a lot of who artium is and if it's stuff that we didn't know last time, at least they told us this time. Um, and just thinking, well, is that really unnecessary to lay it all out exposition-style? like that? Is it saying we didn't do a good enough job of getting this across in the first game we're now going to fill it all in because we've basically retconned or added to Artium's story I, and I'm really not sure in, in all honesty. How did you guys take the, the fact that Artyom is filled in a lot more as a backstory of the character and what
2: happened to him
1: when he was a child?
2: I think I've possibly got to back off of that one because I had read the book and like a, right. lot, a lot of his backstory is actually yeah, yeah, I'm sure, laid yeah. out in yeah. that.
3: I got confused though because uh, my understanding from the first game was that he was one of the first uh, children to have been born in the metro uh, but then in, in the second game it was you know he was clearly alive and living in Moscow before the bombs dropped so that that felt a little bit jarring it didn't I don't think it put me off greatly but it felt like they they were tidying up some of the narrative threads that that they might not have filled in properly last time
0: I while we're on this I have to say I did I found it problematic that the game couldn't decide whether Artyom um I d- sorry how do you pronounce that Artyom. Artyom. yeah so yeah Artyom um, uh, couldn't decide whether um he was a silent protagonist or a speaking protagonist mm. um it seemed like um and I had this problem with Metro 2033 as well that he would talk during loading screens <laughs> yeah. and and there, there there are these sections uh, in Last Light where He's a major character, part of the plot, but then during the gameplay, he's completely silent, like Gordon Freeman in the Half-Life games, and I find that problematic because I think you either you have to pick one or the other. (laughs) Like you either have the silent protagonist who's not really an active part of the story; he's just kind of there to shoot stuff, and then the side characters are the ones who are interesting, which is what what's you know Half-Life's tactic is. Or you have a fully fleshed out character. And as it is, Artyom's kind of like this weird in-between. Yeah. Uh, and and I don't really like it, I I have to say. To
2: be honest, um, I mean, I don't have a problem with that. But uh, it could be explained by the fact that he might just be really shy. And he's just talking <laughs> to himself, like during the walls. Yeah. And the minute it that is, he encounters another human being, he just clams up. It is a little strange that this saviour of mankind,
1: who is kind of being handled... With kid gloves by the order. They've made him a Spartan soldier, but they haven't immediately made him leader or anything stupid like that. They know that he did this great thing, but there's still a lot of the more senior soldiers and officers are are still trying to keep him down a bit. But there is this weird situation where he's treated a little bit like saviour of mankind, and yet everyone just talks at him and never expects an answer. they don't even pretend that he answered it's just they always tell him what to do and he would never say a word it's really it is an odd situation um i i didn't have a problem with um with artium reading the 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 text in between maybe metro 2033 kind of acclimatized me to that um but the notes that you pick up as collectibles in many, many other games, audio diaries or written diaries are are kind of odd anyway. Why are people Tomb Raider? Perfect example. Why are people pouring out their life stories and then just leaving these pages lying around where anyone could pick them up? Why are they writing things they would they want to say to someone else instead of saying them? You know. Um, but in in this game, you're picking up pages that are clearly lying in front of you. And then you go to read them, and it's Artyom's own thoughts. How did they get there? It's really weird. <laughs> it is really, and I know it's from a, 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 it's from a book. It's a book perspective. The the picking up the notes is literally a collectibles thing. I, I just wish there was a different way to do it because it this isn't Alan Wake. This isn't him picking up pages that he wrote because there's this whole reality bending going on uh, of of fiction and reality sort of clashing. This is literally it's a collectible put in an environment to pick up there's an achievement for doing so there are 43 of these in the game, it tells you which ones you've got and which you haven't and yet actually they are relatively important insights into Artyom as a character and they don't actually logically make sense in a world that otherwise they are trying to make make a lot of sense
2: Well I mean he does have a lot to think about so he's got to take some time out to collect his thoughts (laughs) It
1: it's just weird. It's just they they do handle Artium's internal monologue and uh, Artium's narrative, you know, as a character a little strangely. I think a lot of stuff tends it to is, happen at yeah, and it around. Yeah, it, is, it and does have
2: that other... video game concession.
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. to his anyway. credit though, I think that you know the uh, the interludes or, or the the bits between hmm. chapters where Artium's talking to himself, I, they're they're written quite. In quite a nuanced oh, way, yeah, yeah, yeah. compared to oh, yeah. when you, I think that's my big dis- problem with the yeah. narrative of the Metro series, and this is probably a problem with the source material. Maybe it's just the way that enemies have to be painted so starkly as bad guys. You know, you've you've got yeah, yeah. communists and Nazis. Why can't you just have other factions, you know, other groups of people mm-hmm. trying to survive, yeah. and you know, it's that struggle to survive. So you don't know who's good, who's bad. You you know, you're obviously on your side, and you're trying to protect your people but I, yeah, I thought that yeah, was that's yeah. my big problem
2: with it. You you're saying that the Nazis were bad guys in this game. Yeah, they they <laughs> they, they, they
3: didn't come across very well.
0: I yeah, yeah. It, it, I I know what you mean. I I just think in that kind of uh Scenario you don 't need to paint people as like completely morally black for them to be dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. you can just make them really, really desperate. you know if there are films like The Road who have depicted you know cannibalism yeah. and yeah. stuff like that, but none of the characters are painted as you know mustache mustache twiddling yeah. villains they 're all people people who are desperate to survive, and I think that 's kind of enough mm. so to so have the Nazis show up and I know this isn't a problem. Yeah, this is a problem with the source material rather than the game. But still, to have the Nazis show up yeah. and be, you know, Third Reich, yeah, purify the
1: human population and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, mm. it's also really weird because because they are the Nazis or a modern incarnation or a future incarnation, I guess, in in this case of of Nazism. Um, they have to measure the heads of people and decide whether or not they qualify as a mutant and if they're a mutant they need to purify the human race and get rid of them it's a little too on the nose and then at the end you're supposed to buy the fact that these people are at a peace treaty and deciding to make you know to to sign a peace agreement so they've gone from we are going to kill everyone who is different to oh we can probably learn to live with you if it means peace that that those are completely yeah. incompatible points of view. They either believe what they believe and are, are going to isolate themselves from the impure parts of humanity or people that think differently and potentially try and eradicate them or they're actually just people who are desperate for, to survive and when a peace treaty comes around you know they say they've done what they've done because they're scared and now they're willing to, to try and be brave and sign this peace treaty. But it's really strange and the the motives i think for the the reds who essentially become the bad guys d- don't really seem that clear either it seems to mm. just be there's this one guy who's a general who's decided that the best way to go about a a peaceful existence is to just wipe everyone else out
0: yeah that that that's where the narrative kind it's of lost really me weird. towards the end I I was really confused about the motivations of the, thing the antagonists.
2: Is, yeah. Each of the factions is trying to get their hands on the bunker on D six. Oh absolutely, and they're scared yeah. if anyone like,
1: else has control of it, yeah.
2: That's exactly what it is. I mean it is a a big struggle for power, you know, like they want it and uh yeah. they've got it in their heads that this bunker basically contains everything that mankind would need to survive. Mm-hmm. So whoever controls that is going to control everything from a power standpoint.
1: Yeah, but but equally well, they've they've orchestrated and, and set up this scenario where there's going to be a peace treaty where everyone shares. You know, the mm. order, the Spartans currently have control of D6. They are saying they are willing to share equally D6 with everyone, and yeah. and yet they only actually the the Reds only orchestrated this situation so they could annihilate everyone. It seems really strange.
0: Yeah, yeah, especially when they go to great lengths. Trying to explain that you know there are plenty of resources for everyone yeah. here. Um, it seems like if they did work out that peace treaty, everyone would be fine. But it's... no, we um, we want it for ourselves. And within, uh, oh.
2: within an hour of gameplay, there's also a bit with the Ebola virus being unleashed on a bunch of uh, uh, civilians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah I mean, As I said I, I, like earlier, I mean it really is you're going from one strange uh, like part of the world. That is largely self contained it kind of has threads going into other things, but mm. um like you're dealing with the bola you're dealing with slaughter you're dealing with the concentration camps, yeah, and then there's a peace treaty right in the middle as you're saying so
1: yeah it it's it's an odd narrative and it and it definitely does feel it it feels like it it did need uh, it it did want to be um, more palatable to the action shooter uh, notion of of you know more straightforward battlefields and calls of duties and that kind of thing, um, which is unfortunate because a lot of the the narrative that you are provided just by the world around you um, mm. and and by exploring a little bit um, is still incredible. It really is just walking around and seeing uh, the environments, whether or not one environment links to the next terribly well. Um, I, I tend to agree. It does feel like you're hopping from chapter to chapter, um, and and no, it doesn't really all knit together. But each individual little area, there's stories going on, even if it's entirely empty. It you feel the emptiness. You 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 can start to surmise what's happened there, what's going on, and why things have happened just through um, the way it's designed, the way it looks, um, and the visual and audio cues that you're getting. Um, it's really powerful stuff. But uh, I
3: think that's uh, yeah, most yeah. true of. The Dead Cities area, yeah, the Dead City area. I was going to say that yeah. the 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 way the world tells the story there, in terms of you know the um, uh, the like the ash burns on the wall of you know yeah. the people that have been caught yeah, in the yeah. blast, yeah. even the flashbacks, which could be handled uh, quite cheesily in in other games, I think they're really well done here. Uh, yeah. And I thought yeah. those were some of the sort of emotional highlights of the game for me, and I, I really appreciated the way they told an end of the world story in those moments mm. that felt like it had a heart to
2: it yeah and and i mean those flashbacks do occur like throughout the game because there isn't like a lot of i suppose um psychic dissonance happening within the tunnels i mean there are parts of these areas that um people go into say certain tunnels their mind gets overloaded and they start hallucinating and do some pretty crazy things you know
1: the the scene on the airplane uh, is one of the first ones of those i think Um, and it's really pretty powerful actually um what happens uh on, on that particular on that particular plane, uh that just would be like any other plane that was in the sky that day. Um and yet you're seeing flashes of all these people who are corpses, desiccated corpses sat in seats and you're seeing them alive around you and, you know, just little flashes here and there, but it's really unnerving stuff.
0: Uh one, one moment that really stands out for me and uh this is going back to what you were saying about the world telling the story in terms of like uh just exploring the little uh, communities and stuff yeah. like that. Uh one of my favourite moments is just sitting down and watching this show yeah. that was going on. Uh, I forget yeah. which area of the game that was. Um It's, it's called theatre,
1: but yeah.
0: Yeah. And and it like the show Like in terms of the quality of the performances on there were, you know, kind of crummy and campy and, and rubbish, but that felt really organic and natural for what, you know, they had in that, in that world and in that small community they had created. And, and it was really nice watching all these people who have nothing, like they have nothing to live for. Well, they, they do have something to live for because they're making something, yeah. uh, to live for with this community they've created trying to entertain each other and stuff like that. I thought that was really beautiful because despite the horror of their, their living conditions and all of that, they're still trying to keep morale up mm. and, uh, yeah. and entertain each other. And it was just a really adorable little moment. And I think it, 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 um, like I like Bioshock Infinite. But I think one of the one of the complaints that I think is really valid about that game is that a lot of the uh, storytelling it does with the NPCs and stuff like that feels very Disneyland kind of glamorized and. Um, like it's just like this perfect picturesque view of human interaction. Whereas Metro Last Light does it, it does what I think Bioshock Infinite was trying to do much better. Mm. All of the interactions with the NPCs, while they may be very very scripted, feel very organic. They don't feel forced or yeah. or um, it doesn't feel like you're on some kind of uh, theme park ride or anything like that. It just feels like these are these people acting the way they would in this scenario.
2: I also thought it was incredibly cool to see that the kids didn't have a clue what goats or birds were, more or less. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. You keep mistaking them for monsters and they're like, no, look, check, it's got mandibles, you know. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, no, there was a lot of little touches like that that were really interesting and just to see, I mean... You can only ever interact, sadly, with the stalls that sell you ammo and guns, but (coughs) the other stalls that are there, occasionally you would see someone at one of the stalls with just their head and their arms on the tabletop, just completely despondent, but that's all they've got, is selling whatever it is in those bowls sat in front of them, you know? Um, And that's what they do, they get up in the morning, they go and sell, I don't even know what it was, to be honest. I wonder how (laughs) crazy it would would have to be to
2: actually just run through those areas. I mean, just that, the game sells so much during those quiet downtimes, and the yeah. idea of someone that was in it just for the the, the combat and the shooting, just blasting clean through them, that seems insane to me. You know,
0: I I, I think uh, yeah, absolutely. Like I, I I do not understand the mentality of somebody just running through these areas to get to the na- next action sequence because I think what Metro Last Light understands. Uh, more than a lot of modern shooters these days, is the importance of downtime, the importance of reflection, of quiet time after the big explosions and the action sequences. It knows when to go, OK, now is a time to rest. Now is a time to just absorb the atmosphere of the world we've created. And, and it makes the game feel a lot more... Pacey, I I don't know. Like it's it's longer than most first person shooters, mm. but it, it it kind of felt like it zipped along for me in a yeah, way much, yeah. that a Call of Duty game doesn't. Because
2: the thing is, Call of
0: Duty get it feels like with. Um, and I'm not disparaging the Call cool of Duty yes, games are. they're well, well <laughs> I kind of am but they are well made products but it does feel like you're being uh, trolled to the next set piece, like the next set next action, more big, bigger bigger, more explosions, more the th- explosions the thing is,
2: I mean it's not even just that, the problem with like a game that is constant action or just constantly doing one thing is that it'll always feel one note you don't yeah, get that exactly. you don't get yeah. that uh, yeah, time to breathe you know it's like going for a sprint and like a 20-minute t- sprint without breathing. Um, a, it's pretty much impossible. B, um, it's not going to be pleasant. You need to be able to, you need to Stop breathe. And smell like ga- case, games right? that need to be able to give you time to breathe, soak everything in that's happening. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, Especially um, a game like this that has so much to actually show you during those times. Yeah, I
1: think um, a, a moment in a game that it's definitely not atypical but it stands out and and for many of the reasons that these downtimes in in metro uh both metro games stand out um in halo 3 when you go into the the military base fairly early on and as you walk you just walk through the area and there's all these soldiers responding to you and you go into the command center and you're just walking through you're not shooting anything you know fine well that you're going to turn around and two minutes and start shooting your way out of there. But there's that there is that moment of downtime that it gives you where you're just walking amongst other soldiers who are in awe of Master Chief, but that's almost by the by. You you feel like this is a stolen moment amongst the, the mayhem. And that's what all of these moments in Metro feel like. It feels like people stealing these moments of distraction from what's going gone on. Um, when you're watching the show, I, I assume all you guys, if you watch the show, you noticed when the Can Can girls come out, the one on the far left is just a couple of steps, maybe half a step behind everyone else. And it is so funny, but it's so poignant that there's there's like, eight of these people on stage, all in perfect time, they clearly know what they're doing, and then one who just wants to be there, but can't do what they're expected to do but they're there trying, which is what all these people are doing.
2: And of course he's got one of the more dangerous acts uh, happening for him.
1: (laughs) It's just a lovely moment that all these people are trying to live something approaching what they think normal lives are um, to distract themselves from what's going on, uh, which as soon as you get to the sort of last interaction before you go back outside you're reminded that there are soldiers on the edges of these areas whose lives are constant stress just trying to keep these people safe and it's really uh really important
3: actually i thought the one misjudged moment on the downtime front was the uh, uh the strip club uh, not to be a prude or anything like that but it just yeah. it felt i mean there's a comment later about it isn't there but it, it just it felt unnecessary
0: Yeah, that's the thing. I don't have a problem with nudity or anything like that. It's more just that it felt like they just put it in because hey, boobs, and uh, it just felt a bit awkward, really. Um, I think unfortunately
1: that goes for... Please correct me if I'm wrong, but female characters in this game are not well-drawn characters by any stretch. I'm not sure the male characters are, but the female characters, Anna... Kick-Ass Sniper turns out to be a love interest. Not in yeah. most of the game. Just not mm. in most of the game. Really interesting characters. Should have been in more. Um, yeah. Mother of Child, who is being a mother. That's it. She's Mother. I, I don't know if she has a name. Didn't need one. She's called Mother. Um, pr- most other female characters seem to be cancan dancers or prostitutes. And it... it I, I wish I didn't come away from this game feeling like that, but I kind of did. It yeah. fe- feels like most of the female characters, the vast majority, are some kind of cookie cutter. And, and okay, the desperate times, let's pretend that all the soldiers have to be men therefore the women are doing what they can to support these men entertain them allow them to stay safe get some kind of solace in the world they've got etc but it doesn't feel like well-drawn female characters to me at least
0: i i mean the thing is i i actually kind of uh in the early stage of the of the game i kind of got a little bit attached to anna mm. because i thought her dialogue at the beginning of the game was uh, really interesting. I mean, she's kind of just your typical kind of badass female character, and there's not much else to her. But I, I just felt some of the dialogue really worked, yeah. and she was believable oh, yeah. as this mm-hmm. tough character. And like you, I kind of wish there was more of her. There was in an arc the there to be
1: had, and it felt like yeah. it was staccato because showed up at the beginning. You then rescue her, which is unfortunate that she becomes a prisoner ostensibly so that uh, Lesnitsky I mean some of the guards dialogue alludes to the fact that half the reason he's keeping her around is as a plaything which is just unfortunate but seems to be the tone that a lot of these post apocalyptic um, scenarios go for Um, and and then the next time you see her she's saying oh I really believe in you now I'm not sure what to think about these dark ones etc but let's have sex and it's like really there was there was an arc there to be had when she starts to see Artium for who he is instead of just she calls him rabbit for the first you know twenty minutes of the game because she's she's trying to put him down because she's worked hard to get where she is uh to be the sort of like one of the lead soldiers in the order um and there was an arc there to be had and I, I wish there'd be more interaction with her because it felt like there was an end to that arc there was a beginning to the arc and we didn't see what happened in the middle. Uh, and, yeah, and yeah. then after that moment, Artium's told, "Right, you're cleared. Off you go, Anna. You need to hang around for a few more tests." And Artium, as Artium, again because you're a silent protagonist, you just walk away. It's like, why? Are, <laughs> why is there not something yeah. happening here? It's, I I I have no, the thing is I don't
0: have a problem with her becoming a love interest. No. I just wish the game actually lended some weight yeah. to that. Yeah. Um, if there was like this gradual, like oh, actually, Artyom's you know, like if she followed you for the majority of the game, and there was like this slow, slow kind of like, actually, you're a cool guy. I like you. Blah 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 blah. That would have worked, and then have actual like weight to after they, you know have sex and and what have you, uh, have more interaction between those two after that, that would have lent their interaction some weight. But instead... I understand where you're
2: coming from there, but I think from a gameplay standpoint, I think it's more powerful the more alone you are in that game. Yeah, yeah.
0: I absolutely agree. Um, And I'm only quibbling from... A narrative perspective, yeah. but from a gameplay perspective, yeah. I, uh, I it agree is. With I mean, you.
2: the problem is that you do have to have a compromise when you're designing stuff like that. Yeah, but, yeah. But there's a, there's an threat.
1: argument then for not having your cake and eating it, and saying, okay, if it doesn't work for the gameplay, it doesn't work yeah, for the absolutely. theme of the game, then it shouldn't be in there. Or yeah. or play it for for what it ends up feeling like, which is two people who think they are both infected with this disease and are going to die, grasping on to some kind of closeness, some kind of intimacy in their last moments of life there, there's, there's an aspect of human uh, nature there to be explored as well and it kind of feels like they want their cake and eat it they want the love story but they also want the solace and the the desperation and it kind of feels like they need to pick one way or the other uh, equally well
2: actually you've, you've, you've come up with something brilliant there if the end game hadn't been so much love interest but yeah. them realising that they were both going to live and they'd just made a complete horrible mistake and just trying to pawn it off for each other,
1: pot- potentially, yeah, or or just admitting to themselves w- why it was they they felt attracted to another in that moment was just desperation, or yeah, um, e- equally well in in this game, uh, the the writer of the novels was brought in to write the uh, to to oversee and help with some of the story, and it may well be that in the books that is a much more well explored, fleshed out relationship, and. Just like the the backstory to Artium and all that stuff, that's why they kind of felt they had to put it into this game. It's just it'd be nice if it didn't feel so shoehorned in. Maybe I, I I'm no game designer. I don't know how to do any of this stuff at all. But it just it didn't ring as true as it as it may have done for for a character in Anna who was re- really a really great character. Despite the fact that for the first ten minutes of the game she's shouting left and right to you when you're on a path that is painfully linear. It's like, left, well, where else am I going to go? There is only left. Really bizarre opening to the game, I think. Um, Why did it have to
2: be Anna, anyway? Why not Pavel? (laughs) There
1: there is something to be said for that because there's definitely that aspect to the relationship between Artyom and Pavel, actually, isn't there? Where they, they do rely on one another and then I mean they almost have the classic romantic comedy arc to their their story where one yeah. one feels betrayed or in this case is actually betrayed but uh, but yeah that that's an uh, incredibly interesting relationship again that unfortunately is kind of taken away from us for a large part of the game because of the need to to be alone in that environment uh so yeah
2: and also to throw us into a bunch of really like, disparate kind of situations. Yeah. Uh,
1: it, it, I,
0: I still think it's... Mu- I agree with you, James, but I think it's still much better handled than Anna's arc in this game. Like, there is an arc here yeah, with these definitely. two characters. Um, I I have to admit, I know, Darren, you're quite fond of Pavel. Um, and while I think he's one of the more interesting characters in the game, I actually grew to hate the guy <laughs> after oh, yeah. a while. Yeah, just because uh it it seemed like when he wasn't being incompetent he was being an asshole that's why i <laughs> um, liked him so much uh, yeah um, uh, he, I, I think he's certainly I, I the game would be lesser without him i'm not saying like uh i would rather he wasn't in it like the game would definitely be um a lesser experience without his presence but um after a while, I kind of wanted him to die, and you're given that opportunity
1: at one point. Well, okay, in the game. Josh. So, here's the moment of truth when you had the chance to kill Pavel. Did you?
0: No, I didn't kill him. Then you didn't want him to um, die. I kind of <laughs> had to think about it for a while, but but but
1: isn't that great? The, I, and okay.
0: That's the thing,
2: though. I mean, like in games, you're conditioned to do the right thing more than anything else, you know even yeah. if you're Even if you're absolutely desperate for someone to die. A lot of the time you won't make that decision in the end, because you'd feel as though you have been guilted into leaving him alive, you know. Yeah.
1: Mm. Uh, but the, the moment at which you find out that he's betrayed you, for a good while after that, I wanted to believe so much that, that the, when he sent you on ahead uh, and spoke to his superiors, I wanted to believe that he was given no choice. That he actually wanted to help you, he wanted to to take you on to Polis and and to repay the debt that he he would have hopefully felt that he owed you for saving his life. Um, I I so much wanted to believe that he was in that situation that he did want um want to help you and and that corbett or whoever else just had not given him the option but then you quickly reel well not quickly it takes a little while but you eventually realize that no he has died in the wool he is 100 percent on on board with this plan and that he is one of the three people amongst the reds who is right at the center of this plot along with corbett and lesnitzky they are the three that this whole thing ends up revolving around they are the three that are in Lesnitsky's um Memories of, of what happened when you see those, and you realise that he was right at the heart of this whole plan to wipe out basically the entirety of of humanity in the metro system. Um, which I th- I thought was really interesting. That for a long time I wanted him to not be. I wanted him to be a good guy because he is quite a likable character.
3: Um, I think that's the the mark of a, of yeah. a well written character. I think. Oh, definitely. And yeah. it, it does it does feel like a betrayal when it yeah. happens, and you do mm-hmm. and you are expecting it to be a double uh you know, to be a, uh, he had to turn around and say, oh, "I was only kidding. I was yeah, just yeah. using yeah, that to definitely. get away." But it, is, yeah. it, it, it feels bad. I let him die. I let him die. Right. Uh, I felt so bad <laughs> about it that I let him die.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting as well in, in the game that. Um, so one of the one of the moral points in the game that leads to the hidden quote unquote good ending, uh, which again, pretty undeniably, is the good is the better outcome uh, in, in this game. One of the moral points is, is basically not killing anyone that you have the, the option to not kill. Um, that goes for mutants. Towards the end, you're given the option to not kill some, some mutants. But for soldiers, absolutely. Um, yet, you will knock a soldier out and take the filter off their gas mask which is yeah. pretty much killing them you may have chosen knockout but if it, i instinctively just hit x every time it gave me the opportunity to scavenge anything because resources are so slim uh despite the fact that a couple of points i had more than 40 minutes worth of filter uh yeah. time built up i did not need that much but that's the nature of of you know scarce resources is it it prompts you like fallout to pick up everything um and and yet it gives you a prompt to take the filter off the gas mask of someone you've just knocked out to try and spare, presumably damning them to radiation sickness and death. Um, and, and equally well, when you're on the train tracks with uh, Regina, is it the name of the, the buggy, um, you may knock out someone who's on the tracks who's come to investigate the vehicle that's there and then drive over the top of them, um, which is kind of this weird situation where clearly they they can't count that as a kill because that would just be too difficult gameplay-wise to get around, but to all logic, you are killing this person just that you Mm. chose the prompt that popped up and said X to knock out, which I think the prompts as well are a little unfortunate in this game the fact that whenever my watch starts beeping a minute out to tell me that my filter needs swapping, and right on the middle of the screen, hold LB to swap filters, yeah I know, I've done, done this a few times you know, in so many other ways, the charge of your weapons, um, the charge for your torch, you're not given a prompt telling you you need to do this now. And then in other situations, they stick a prompt in your face and lift you out of that. Um, it's the same with killing. Um, I'm all for zero kills runs on stealth games, which this essentially is if you want to play it that way. Um, it's just a little unfortunate that they, they then allow you to logically you you know mess that situation up which is just a one of those unfortunate um disparities between gameplay and, and narrative but it there it is
0: seeing as we're on the yeah. topic of the gameplay and the combat and and so yeah. forth um metro last light does make a number of changes to the way the game feels and controls um uh, to uh, Metro 2033 and I'm curious as uh, I believe uh, you James have completed Darren you've completed 2033 as well haven't you? Yeah. Uh, all of you except for me haven't you? Yeah. Uh, I'm curious um, what your opinions are on a lot of these changes that they've made uh, and how you feel they compare to Metro 2033.
2: Well I mean for one the gun is a hell of a lot better. Basically if you yeah. aim at something and pull the trigger and it's on target, chances are you're actually going to hit it. <laughs> you know, that wasn't actually the case in 2033, which seemed almost random, you know? It kind of felt a bit like, I don't know, like Fallout number generation, trying to determine yeah, just without, how much damage you did.
1: without the the surfaced mechanics to explain that away, like you've got in something like Fallout, but yeah. Yeah, because, I mean,
2: I mean, it looks and plays like a first-person shooter, but it's got this weird kind of background yeah. dice rules, you know? And yeah. it's, the gunplay is a hell of a lot better. The stealth is massively improved, to the point where I think it affects the game. Because yeah. Artyom is not just this hard-button survivalist. He puts Sam Fisher to of shame. Yeah. You know? If he's got oh, a, th- a thimble yeah. of darkness, he can hide in it. Yeah. And people will be looking straight at him. And yeah. they'll just like, he'll be a, like a chameleon. He, they won't notice him. You can just walk up and punch him clean in the face. Then hide from their pals, even though he's just punched a guy in the face. Half a meter away from his pal, who's looking yeah. the other way, and the, that guy mysteriously feels to like hear his pal uh, get punched in the face, collapse. Or hit the ground, or yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, rifling through the guy's clothes to get his bullets or his uh filters. <laughs> and yeah. it. I think for a game that sells out so well, I think that really made an answer just how badly they did the uh, did the stealth? Because I mean, you're ability to play it in a, a stealth standpoint. That's massively improved. The fact that it's hit in the world is massively detrimental.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, in in the first game, um, it did feel like you were just another one of these people trying to survive. Um, I, I mean, obviously you're more powerful. You're the player character. Um, they have to fudge it in a way where you manage to defeat um five guys in a gunfight or whatever whatever but it still maintained that feeling of um your you only just get out of these uh gunfights of your life um you, you're you're just as skilled as the people you're fighting and while i i actually think i, I like the controls of the lo- um i almost said the last of us there uh last light uh more than 2033 i think 20 uh Last Light is a much better gameplay experience. It's more enjoyable from that point of view. But I agree with you, Darren. It completely breaks the immersion when you're Batman, essentially, yeah. <laughs> in a lot of ways. Like you, you'd have to be wearing some kind of light negating clothing or something yeah. for those guys to still not see you two feet away from them. Um, it, it is, it does, break a lot of the logic in that world but I don't know I, I feel like I'm willing to forgive it just because I enjoyed myself a lot more in this game than I did with 2033 um, I enjoyed you know puffing out all the lights and and attacking people from the shadows I kind of just I just decided to accept that this guy is some kind of Captain America <laughs> Bruce Wayne super soldier and just yeah, went with it, and uh, I ended up really enjoying a lot of the stealth gameplay despite how ridiculous it
2: is. Um, the thing is, I mean, like, the actual gameplay elements have been massively improved. I just think that with some simple tweaks to enemy placement, um, their ability to hear what was going on and figure things out, it could have been both a much better game to play and it could have um, avoided breaking the immersion that's in the current uh, version of it.
3: Definitely. When you said the stealth had been improved, I was going to say I think it's just the AI had been dumbed down uh, rather than them fixing anything else. But I did, I I enjoyed the feeling of playing the the stealth role in this game much more than in twenty thirty three, where a lot of the time you'd try it, you'd fail, and then you'd get into a a pea shooter fight, wouldn't you? Essentially. Uh, So I definitely, I'm with you, Josh. There, it was. I was happy to put that aside for gameplay reasons.
1: I I was for the first couple of hours. I think after that it became way too apparent that the extent to which they had changed the gameplay mechanics and in my mind it can only be to have made the game easier and more accessible I guess is is the word um in spite of the world that they're trying to portray cuz in the first one, if I aimed for a guy's head and missed by three clear feet, at least I could kid myself, well, I'm only a regular guy with a gun. I'm not a super soldier. If if I tried to sneak past someone and failed, I mean, there was, there was one level where um, there was an achievement for getting through it unseen that was nigh on impossible to get in Metro 2033. It was ridiculous because it seemed almost like luck whether or not you were going to get spotted. At least I can pretend... That, or at least I can imagine that that's in keeping with the world, where if you're going to try and sneak past someone, in all honesty, it's going to be luck as to whether or not you can do it, as to whether or not they happen to catch a glimpse of you, because you're not invisible, you're not a ninja, you're not Batman, you're you know, you're know not anything more than an average person. And likewise, if I try to shoot someone and miss, well, probably if I picked up a rifle and tried to shoot someone in real life, um, there's every chance I would miss by a large margin because I'm just a regular human being. Whereas in Metro Last Light, you can walk up in front of someone and still get a prompt to knock them out or kill them. And it doesn't matter. Their vision cones in darkness are zero. In light, they are incredibly narrow directly in front of them to the point where you can just walk up like not even side onto them, even slightly from the front, they will not see you. Um, If you shoot a light out, they will hear it and they will immediately assume there's someone there which is great, I think, because in other stealth games where you can shoot a light out and everyone goes, huh, the light's gone out, and doesn't actually register that there's glass everywhere, someone's just shot this light out, it's ridiculous. So I, I like that, but the fuse boxes that are around, you can turn off the switches standing right next to someone. They may remark that the light's out, they probably won't, and they certainly won't come to actually do anything about it ninety nine per cent of the time that's i mean that's a stealth trope that I don't particularly like either, where you switch off a light switch, the enemy comes, turns it back on, goes back to their spot, you switch it off again, and you're playing basically you know hide and seek with someone um using the light switch, but to have them not respond at all to the fact that you've just shut down all the lights in the area is a
2: little bit weird. I'm just saying, like, most of the places where I put up fuses, um, yeah. they, they did send someone over to actually just put it back on.
1: N- I, the only time they mentioned that was the first time I got into a room and there was a fuse box and someone was talking about the fact that the fuses must have gone to alert you to the fact there were fuse boxes there. Any other time I shut off the fuse box no one came over. It was really weird. I don't know why on earth that was because surely that would be I mean that that's a if you're going to put in standard stealth mechanics and adopt them from other stealth games rule number one is you have light switches there to turn them off so that you don't have to shoot at a light and give your position away and that draws an enemy over That that's what you do, you draw an enemy over to the light switch knock them out it just seems really really weird that that would be that that just didn't happen for me at all. I mean, as I was saying,
2: I mean, I think that the mechanics behind the the stealth and the gunplay have been improved a hell of a lot. Yeah. The only problem is that the enemies are imbeciles this time out. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah, I think that's part, uh, yeah, the majority of the problem. It seems um, in a couple of scenes, all it took was for them to get a brief sight of me and suddenly everyone in the place was on alert. Uh, And other times I I could wander around quite happily, just knocking everyone in the room out with no concern for ever having been spotted um so yeah i think may, maybe uh, the shooting is feels great hands down better I, I love the fact they've still got um the the bullets as currency although i never needed to even consider shooting one of those i always had enough ammo um i love the fact they've still got the hydraulic weapons um and that you still need to pump them up um and and the the feel of those they're they're certainly viable. Uh, you do need to pick and choose your enemies depending upon whether they've got head guard on, uh, some kind of helmet on. Um, uh, and and I thought generally the mechanics of the game yeah they're far better. And and I'll forgive the watch um, telling me whether I'm visible or not uh, because it made it feel more like a stealth game. Whereas the first time round they tried to pretend there was stealth in it, but th- there really kind of wasn't. Um, so I, I liked all that, but it just felt too easy after the first couple of hours. The first couple of hours, I could kind of think, wow, I'm doing really good at this. You know, anytime I am spotted, you know, I, I take care of them before they raise the alarm. Um, I'm able to take out enemies left, right and center. Um, but it just started to feel too easy fairly quickly. Maybe Ranger Mode would have changed that. I didn't play it in Ranger Mode. Um but I've seen this in games before, Fallout, New Vegas, I went straight on to realistic mode, and um, it 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 felt artificially difficult, and I, I don't know if this would have felt any different, but, but maybe. It just felt too easy, and that kind of broke something. They haven't
2: originally. put rager mode into the game as a standard feature, have they? Yeah, it's DLC. It's, it's DLC, DLC. Yeah. It's DLC. Yeah. 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 One of the yeah. weirdest yeah. missions in history it's mm.
1: it, yeah it's very bizarre it, it says at the beginning um you know ranger mode's just for people who want a you know tough challenge people who are experienced with with metro games essentially um but but yeah i i clicked on it and it then said go to the steam store and, and i thought no i'm not I'm not doing that i'll yeah. just play the version i've got here um
3: i think they ended up getting into some trouble about with that as well didn't they because one of the developers said Ranger Mode was the way the game was meant to be played, uh, yeah. and then started it's charging DLC, for it, which is uh, probably a bit cheeky on that part.
0: Um, I, I heard it was a holdover from a decision at THQ yeah. that, that that they were asked to make that content uh, DLC content, and then it kind of stayed that way when they went over to uh, Deep Silver. But, yeah,
1: um, the, the part of the problem is that in Metro 2033, Ranger Mode was added as DLC, but it was added after the fact. It was a wouldn't yeah. it be great if, let's add this in. And it was yeah. part and parcel of some extra content that, I, as far as I know, they charged for it, but it kind of made sense. It was an update to the game, they added some extra stuff. Fine, yeah, okay. But this time around, to then hold that back and charge again when they knew that it it was appreciated as part of the game first time around in Metro 2033. It it does feel yeah, cynical, unfortunately.
0: I I do want to uh, draw our attention towards the surface areas of the game because I don't think we've really touched on them too much. The areas of the yeah. game where you really interact with the creatures and the the world above more than the uh, humans uh, who are scuttling about in the tunnels. I, I have to say, th- these are by far my favourite sections of the game. Absolutely superb. Um, the fact just... that they're
1: lighter makes them. Because last time around it was all dark, it was all raining, yeah. and it, that mm. made it scary. This time around they kept that tense, scary atmosphere, but they put light in it, and it just. Mm. You see the damage. I mean, you see what's become of the world. It's, yeah, there's absolutely... More
2: N- than just light, they've also got some of the best uh, weather effects on the business. Like, the rain in this game yeah. is just stunning to look at. The yeah. effect it has on yeah. your mask is incredible. Mm. There yeah. is a section, I think it's actually just called Bridge, where you come yeah, up onto yeah, yeah. the surface near a bridge. There's a bunch of enemies yeah. scattered around, you know, they're just kind of doing their own thing. But the most impressive aspect about this entire sequence is, there's a rainstorm coming in, and you can look to your left and see it just kind of approaching the bridge. And then when it hits you, just all the weather effects in there are just incredible to look at. Yeah. Yeah. Just horizontal sheets of rain. It's beautiful.
0: Yeah. It but that section of the game is by far my favourite section of the game. Just because aesthetically it's incredible. Mm. Um I, I haven't seen anything like that before. And I know that sounds slightly hyperbolic, but um I, I'm I'm being honest I I really haven't seen rain effects like that in a game before it was so impressive and especially the way um the raindrops would patter against your gas mask as well yeah. um it it made the world feel alive it made it feel dynamic um it made it feel like and i know this is a phrase that gets used a lot but it really did feel like a character in its own right um the the surface world um, and the sound design the sound design in these sections the, these sections of the game is incredible. Um, just the use of the wings of the demons yeah. in the background. They don't even have to be an active enemy for them to be scary. Yeah. Just to have the wings you know, beating in the background and you know God almighty, I really hope I don't have to fight that thing. <laughs> um, and 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 the fact that the soundtrack is is barely there it, it really relies on the sound effects of the creatures and the world and you sludging through the mud and and the rain and everything like that it it just ah oh, it I, 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 I struggle to think of a post apocalyptic game that really sold me on the chaotic nature of the world um uh, of the world after all the nukes have fallen, yeah. um, it's it, it, it's it's really incredible. Yeah.
2: The thing is, I mean, I'm assuming this would be a nightmare to program and develop, but it was these surface areas that made me feel that I would kill everyone and and just in this country if they would develop <laughs> an open world version of this game. Yeah. Where you are not being forced uh, down a relatively linear path, but you're actually able to branch out and you're able to scuttle it in the tunnels. ...going out on the surface for uh, scavenging runs... Um ...it's just... The, ...it sells the world so much... ...I mean, if there was something like Metroid, uh, Metroid Prime... ...like that kind mm. of design... ...I think that could just be a, an immense game... ...just absolutely incredible... Yes. There is a small degree of that in the DLC... ...there is a DLC that's kind of like semi-open world... ...where you're outside the great library... Um ...and you come, go in and out of the base... ...and you kind of trade for uh, supplies... Uh, based on the relics and heirlooms that you've uncovered, but I think that that, on a much bigger scale, could just be one of the best shooter experiences I've seen.
0: Yeah, uh, I, 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 I know it will never happen, but I'd kind of love to see a Fallout game that looked like this, or a, or a Stalker game, or anything like that. Just yeah. I know open world, you have to. With open world games, you kind of have to draw the line on certain things, uh, technically, just because the world is so big. Um, so I, and I, I do think part of the reason why a lot of these sections look as good as they are is because they're directed, uh, you know, sequences. They're quite linear, but oh, Jesus, uh, I, it's so impressive. Um, and, um, I, yeah. I'd I'd love to. I'm I, I. You see, I played this game on PC, um. So I I don't know if any of you guys played this on the console and no. whether uh, it it's significantly visually different on those platforms.
3: I played the PS3 version, and yeah, uh, not that I had a side by side comparison, but you know, I was as awestruck as you were with that that mm. section in particular, which was the uh, the levels, the crossing the bridge, and then into the dead city. It was just, it was fantastic. It was, it was far and away the the strongest part of the game for me.
2: Um, yeah, because I think uh, it, sorry, was, go.
3: it was just the way in the first game I felt going above ground was uh, it wasn't something you really looked forward to because no, you did get you know you'd get uh, attacked by the uh, charging dog like enemies, the Dread uh, Librarians this, and yeah, stuff. Yeah, but in this this you kind of you wanted to get out to see the to see the environments and they, they gave you a much greater view i think across the city you got a, a lot more panoramas to look at and i thought that was a a really strong part of the game i thought it yeah. just it looked it really it really sold a world that had been ruined by war
2: yeah, yeah. i'm also pretty yeah. sure that 4 kind of felt the same because it's obvious that they were a lot more lenient as far as your filters went this time i mean in the last game, 2033, you had barely any time to get the surface, get what you needed to do, and then just get the hell back down where it was safe. Whereas in this one I was never really in any danger of running out of oxygen.
1: No, the only time I can think of is the beginning of the bridge section, you go a long way without finding a filter. If you hadn't stocked up on enough filters at that point you might be in trouble, but I think one of the last things you do when you leave um, the underground section beforehand is stock up on a lot of stuff. Um, and, and then shortly after that first bridge section, you're getting loads of filters and um, the the young dark one starts bringing filters to you as well. So very quickly that becomes a non-issue. Um, yeah, the, the outdoor sections, the bridge, uh, when you're cross, crossing towards the church, um, that whole section, um, despite the fact it's actually a fairly linear path, it feels very open. Um, and, and I thought that was great. The, the thing that struck me on and i'm not sure how scripted it is but like on the bridge where you get on the zip line and you're shooting at the the various uh, mutants around you and the winged one comes in i presume that's scripted that the winged one uh, attack, attacks and bites the zip line and and basically sends you hurtling to the ground that is um, i've
2: never been able to play through that without it happening
1: yeah i was going to say i hit it a bunch of times with a four barrel shotgun and uh, and it didn't go down
3: i wonder whether those above ground bits would work if you got rid of the enemies altogether because i i got a lot of the tension i think does come from the sound design, as josh said about the beating wings mm. off in the distance but also the, the breathing going through the mask i think that adds a lot of tension yeah. to the game yeah, and i yeah. wonder whether because i'm sure we'll get onto the creatures later on but i found a lot of those to be unsatisfying to, to deal with and i think just having the pressure of trying to get to where you need to go without running out of filters would probably be as tense, as exciting as it would be having to fight off hordes of of demons.
0: Yeah, let's actually talk about the creatures now, seeing as you've brought them up. Um, how... How do you guys feel they handled these gameplay encounters with the creatures? I know a lot of these creatures are also in 2033, but there are some new additions as well, like the spider slash scorpion type creatures yeah. that uh, are, are basically pitch pitch black yeah. Yeah. monsters yeah. that react to quite quite uh, nice. uh, quite. I don't quite really <laughs> those. Ones. Yeah. Those were, I think, the most mechanically interesting to fight, just because it was fun to just go, yeah, yeah, take yeah. my torch. Well, I'll quickly throw this out um, because but... I'll
2: probably forget later on. But there's another mm. DLC that um, is essentially aliens. Right. Right. Um, basically, the entire uh, conceit of it is that you have got to survive in one of those nests. And you've got a flamethrower and you can toast them really good. And it's oh, just... It's, my second favourite piece of DLC, the other one is the open Mm. world one. And um, I just think that it does the entire Alien side better than any Aliens game has ever done you know? And granted that's not particularly hard when you've got like um, Colonial Marines. Yeah, Colonial Marines as its competition. But if they had made a game of this and called it Aliens, it would be the best Alien game ever made. It's really (laughs) atmospheric and it's just those creatures are very it's not so much a really great to fight. They just give off this, like, era looming menace and the fact that they're lurking around goners, jump-diving yeah. down holes. Yeah. You're never sure where they're going to come from. You know, I, just, I think they're a great addition.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think they're the one standout out of all the creatures you fight. Um, I, I enjoyed fighting those creatures yeah. just because they had a cool little gimmick. But the mole monsters yeah. and the... The howlers, I think they're called, or or the, those creatures, they're kind of just book, you know sponges for my bullets. After a while, um, they're not they're not hard to, or frustrating to fight. They're just kind of dull they feel like to fight. Yeah, um, I mean
2: the thing is, I mean th- they need to be there, but it's a shame that they weren't handled better. You know, like uh, more interesting to actually fight them.
1: So one of the criticisms I think we had in Metro 2033 about the above ground sections where you were mostly fighting the mutants, below ground mostly the humans. Um, The mutants were were clearly um, iterations of different animals. They all had animalistic tendencies and they do this time around. Um, The the first time around the problem was they just didn't do anything particularly different. It was just a slightly bigger animal it was based on and you just had to pump more bullets into it. and that's that's kind of the situation here, except you do have the enemies that react to light. Part of the problem with them is when you're in the nest, they've got the holes in the wall that they can scurry back into. Um, in one particular section, it, one of these creatures was running out, I would hit it with a light, it would scurry back in, so I didn't have enough time to shine light on it before it would scurry away, um, which was just unfortunate, I guess. It just meant a very repetitive five minutes until I just gave up and carried on. Um, and then you've got the um the the shrimp in the in the water um and particularly the the bigger ones where they've got the um the claws they put in front of themselves to shield themselves so you've got yeah. to wait for them to attack you um but the fight with the bear actually ended up showing me what i disliked most about these encounters which is This isn't a game where you can jump and run. Like in Halo, if you want to get away from something that's coming up to melee you, you just jump and run around, albeit like an idiot, but you can do. You've got no roll mechanic, you've got no evade mechanic. In the bear fight for the first little bit of it, you'd just been told, well I'd just been told, that I was wrong to shoot a winged mutant because she was just trying to protect her child. She wasn't red, which is the game's rather obvious codename for something that is a a danger. Um, And you go straight into this boss fight towards the very end of the game with a a giant mutant bear, essentially. Um, And the first thing that the Dark One tells you is she's just trying to protect her child. So I thought, oh, great, I don't have to shoot this then. How the hell do I get away from it? And then you realise, oh, no, you do have to shoot it to weaken it to then allow the other Watchmen, I think the Howler ones are called, Um, to get onto it and there's this whole shooting it in the back mechanic that's a bit daft Um, but I think that's part of the problem is if there were fewer enemies you would feel more like you were able to deal with them but there would still be that tension there. If there were none at all then all the noises and sounds around you would soon just become background noise that you wouldn't worry about I think as it is there's just several points in the game where there's slightly too many enemies where you feel like what you want to do is run away but you're on a linear path than you can often. It is do the balance that.
2: in. I mean from a gameplay yeah. standpoint, I think I would have preferred less enemies that were deadlier. You know? Smarter. Yeah, I think so yeah. Possibly even yeah. more resilient, you know. It's just that if if you've got loads of them swarming at you, they lose any kind of tension they've got because they're moving targets at that point.
1: Yeah.
0: Um okay, um lastly, um I kinda wanna talk about the ending um mainly because uh, the good and bad ending, as it were, are really dramatically different in this game. And and that's the same with 2033 yeah. as well. But, um, yeah, um, so basically what happens is either the communists invade and you decide to blow them all up, and that's exactly what happens, and you die, and then... The, what we didn't touch on, actually, is the the fact that the, the little Dark One is actually trying to find a bunch of Dark Ones that managed to survive the explosion Perfectly at the end of... Yeah. yeah, and basically the game ends with him walking off with the Dark Ones and them doing what they do Um, but the good ending is that you're about to blow up this entire area and then the little one you know goes don't worry we've got this and then all the dark ones come in and kill the communists and it's happy yay everyone's happy and then the dark ones go off and do their whatever
2: they're going to do Um, whatever they're going to do is usually causing mass hallucinations towards anything human
0: yeah (laughs) Um, how how do you guys feel about the ending of this game? I thought they
2: were entirely fine. I mean, it, it wasn't, like, something that I'd yeah. be thinking about forever. But, um, like, when I'm playing through games, I tend to just kind of absorb what's coming at me as it is without trying to think too deeply into it. Because if you do that, it's really easy to pick holes in just about everything that you play, you know? Anything that hasn't had a mm. lot of effort put in the story. And, yeah, I mean, then nonetheless of this, it ended the game without uh, leaving a bad taste in my mouth.
0: That's kind of how I feel. Like it's not, it's not really amazing, but it's not terrible either. So I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah, that's good.
2: It's good. <laughs> yeah, it's good. <laughs> no, um, stop, you know, it isn't just an ending, either. Yeah, I understand uh,
1: based on this ending, particularly what Josh means about kind of how arbitrary some of the moral choices are. You are told whether you get the good ending or the bad ending by the young dark one that you are good, that. Uh, when I saved Pavel um, I was told that that was the right thing to do and I was teaching the Dark One that humans can be good and yet at the end of the game I hadn't done enough of the good things throughout to warrant the Dark Ones coming back to save Artyom and and the quote-unquote good humans um, and, and yet none of those moral inflection points however many of them I got, however many of them I didn't, none of them actually had an effect on the Dark Ones being able to be there to help. So it literally comes down to, if you are good enough, the Dark Ones decide to save you. And if you are not, then the Dark Ones just allow you to blow up D6 and die, which doesn't exactly paint the Dark Ones in a terribly nice way. Given they're saying to you that you're doing good things and, you know there are humans that are bad but there are humans that are good but they still just
2: allow you to die so maybe you're just not good enough
1: yeah well, but it's just that there's all these things you do that that in in theory it's kind of nice that if you are good enough the dark ones will save you they will preserve the good of mankind and allow the bad to to die away but on the other hand you you know you're doing you're playing through the game as best you can um, making the choices and, and doing stuff that isn't impacting directly on the actual story that's happening, just on your character's invisible good-bad meter, if you like. And at a certain point, there's this invisible tipping point where this unrelated stuff you're doing um, warrants your survival. It's a bit weird. And it think, is a
2: problem that I tend to have with a lot of games that involve choice though. Yeah, Generally, yeah, uh, if you do yeah. one thing good or one thing bad at the start... You'd be as well doing everything bad that you can, or everything good, because it usually ties into some kind of either an ending, or rewards yeah. that you'll get through some gameplay. kind of scale, yeah, the, the uh, Mass Effect scale, I mean, if you like, yeah. yeah. I mean, I was like playing Splinter recently, like uh, Splinter Blacklist, yeah. And I always go through that knocking people out, which mm-hmm. li- essentially makes everything just in my particular play- playthroughs, any work that they put into killing people, you get several choices to kill people, or like animations for killing them. Like, I'll never see those. And yeah. I was thinking that in these kind of games, it would often be better if it was dynamically generated. Like, for instance, if some goes up behind someone and knocks them out, and he hasn't been seen, he would knock them out. But if he's been shot at and running for his life, he might have got them instead to save time, you know? Yeah. Generally, that's what you do in that situation. And I think that barreling you down one path and forcing you to go to the extreme yeah. isn't really great design, in my opinion, nowadays. It was a good kind of thing to experiment with. But I think that allowing you to get get those choices kind of limits what you can see.
1: Yeah, I I like the fact that the moral choices are kind of invisible. They're not forced in your face. It's not a a good, bad decision you're making because often you don't know there's a choice even there. I really like that about the Metro series. And I like the fact that the meter, whatever it is, is invisible. Um, But I do kind of see what Josh and Brian mentioned earlier about the fact that, if they're gonna have this good and bad ending it kind of does feel like you're being cheated if you don't if you don't know what it is you're doing and can't see the effect that it's having on it it would it would almost be better to treat it as a hidden ending but i'm not entirely sure it works the way they do it well i think brian Brian, you were gonna say yeah
3: yeah as i say I, i actually when i Finished the game and then I went online to look at the alternate ending and I saw it was described yeah. as the good and the bad ending. Yeah, and I, I sort of rejected that label because I think the bad ending, as you know, the internet would have it, is actually narratively the the better ending. I think it wraps up Arjun's story quite nicely. I mean, he's already he starts the game as a mass murderer, essentially wiping out yeah. this whole you know uh, race of new creatures there's not a lot you can do to recover from that i don't think and the fact that he's willing to at the end to sacrifice himself and others like him you know this yeah the warlike aspect of the of the human uh, race it, I, I thought it, it had a sort of narrative cohesion that i thought i thought worked really well and the idea that the dark ones would leave let them fight it out and come back and rebuild a world once they're gone i it, it felt it felt right to me
0: Time is marching on, gentlemen, so uh, we must get on to the community correspondence. So, todinho says, Metro last night was an improvement in almost every way from its predecessor. It took everything good from the original game and built upon it to make a tighter experience, while at the same time fixing some of the problems the previous game had. All of this to make one of the best single player shooters of 2013. The gameplay continues to be one of the most tense and satisfying in any shooter, allowing you to take whatever approach you want, be it a loud or a silent one. When combat really gets going, every bullet counts, making you very mindful of your resources. That said, the stealth in this game is too overpowered. The AI just can't keep up. Their cones of vision are really limited, and if you're minimally competent, you'll be able to clear rooms without firing a single shot. The worst part is that every enemy you knock out, you get ammo, so you can end up loaded with supplies if you do this strategy breaking one of the best things in the gameplay. The game also has a bunch of set pieces that are not all that bad, but I think there's too many of them and the time and effort spent there could have been better used elsewhere. When it comes to the visuals, sound and atmosphere, this game is pretty much a masterpiece. There's not a single area in the game that doesn't look and sound great and the game still does a fantastic job in capturing the world shown in the books. The outside sections in particular are breathtaking and are easily the highlight of the game. The characters that were a big complaint I had in the previous game are pretty well written here, with some great dialogue and some actual personality. is It's good to have you back. This is something that came about from having the book author helping write the game, no doubt. The only problem I have other than the pointless romance and pandering is that the plot is a lot more Hollywood-esque. Something may be done in order to appeal to a wider audience, I don't know. The first game and book had a much more thought-provoking and clever story. And while the story here is a nice follow-up from the first and shares many of the same themes, it's all handled with the subtlety of a rhino and the depth of a puddle. Despite its minor flaws, Last Light remains one of the best games of 2013 and one that should be played by fans of shooters and great world-building alike.
1: Okay, Simon Marshall 6 says... Metro 2033 is my favourite first-person shooter, which was released during a period when the genre was bombarded by anyone and everyone looking to jump on the success of Call of Duty. My one criticism for the game was the shooting itself, at times you'd be aiming at the enemies pulling the trigger and the bullets flew off to hit anything but your target. With the improvement in shooting mechanics being made to last light, you'd think I'd be in Dreamland, right? The combat overall was much better than its predecessor, but the game was far less memorable. With a mixture of boring open world sections, predictable storylines and a ridiculous scene which sees you visiting a strip club, Metro Last Light just cannot compare to 2033. The Spider Enemies provided the only memorable enemy encounter throughout the entire game. Having not read the book I was experiencing Metro as someone who only knew the story from the games, but it seemed convoluted a lot of the time and the ending cannot compare to the choice the player had in the original. In saying that, the twist was done well, but you knew from that instant that you would have to eventually kill Pavel Morozov. And that fight is rather unmemorable too. It's also reminiscent of the end fight in Bioshock. As a game, it's hard to fault Last Light. The stealth sections are well done, the shooting is on point, and some of the enemies are well designed. As an experience, however, Last Light is often forgettable. Although I would recommend it for others to play, the game never reaches the heights of frantically squirming away from a librarian like you experienced in the previous game.
2: Okay, here's from Rashid the Gatekeeper. I played Metro 2033 after it had been suggested by a few friends on Steam. I'm not usually a big fan of survival horror games as I scale pretty easily, so I figured I would probably never play it. But a two years after release it would be worth a few dollars, so I gave it a whirl. Much to my surprise the game quickly became one of my favourites of the generation. So needless to say I was extremely excited when Last Light was released. I picked up my pre-order on release day and began playing it immediately. Last Light offered some changes from the first game the guns felt more powerful than in 2033, the bullets seemed to de- do slightly more damage than they did before, especially to the monsters, and the enemies also seemed to be slightly less unforgiven when trying to be stealthy. Depending on how dedicated you are to stealth in games, this could be considered a good or bad change, but the enemy's superhuman hearing abilities was one of my few frustrations with the first game. Boss monsters were also a new addition to the sequel and to mixed effect. The only boss monster that really had any sort of payoff or purpose was the bear in the garden level, and being given the opportunity to spare the bear from being taken down by the Watchers was a nice touch. The other two bosses, the Rhino and the shrimp, however, felt lacking in any purpose other than to be end of level bullet sponges. Mutated spiders and scorpions were also added as enemies for last light, and were interesting creatures to fight. Being able to not waste them when a monster was a nice reprieve, simply shine your light on one for long enough, and it will flip over on the ground, allowing you to stab the soft underbelly with your knife. I have very few complaints about Mary Last Light. The ability to carry a third weapon I'm sure was useful to some players, but I felt was mostly unnecessary. I found a pneumatic t rifle early and used it for pretty much the entire day of the game, only carrying around the revolving shotgun for those really pesky monsters. I carried around a bolt-action long rifle with a handful of bullets and never felt the need to use it. Eventually it, switching it out for a helsing, which still didn't get much use either. All in all, I feel Metro Last Light falls just the tiniest bit short of Metro 2033, but it's still an amazing game and I would absolutely recommend it to anybody. The tone and atmosphere make for a richly immersive experience. Metro 2033 easily became one of my favourite games of the generation, but the series has now become one of my favourite game series of all time.
0: Yeah, um, just before, like, he mentioned the the boss battles with the uh, creatures earlier on, uh, in that uh, post, and we, we kind of touched on it, yeah. but I feel the need to mention that the bog shrimp was uh, a particularly awful part of the game for me because it was just like the other ones except you just back off and fire yeah. hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bullets into this creature before it finally decides to die. Yeah. It was, a, uh, yeah, the the boss battles in this game were not, were not re- well designed at all, I don't think. Okay, now let's move on to our free word reviews, starting with Matt Lees. Didn't need tits. Uh,
1: Vimsy74 says,
2: Involving classic shooter. Zack Tom says, Awful spider things.
3: Mike Dixon says, Dark but boring.
2: Tim
0: Sycamore says, Ukraine crisis beta. Moving on to our summaries now, starting with Brian.
3: Well, I realise I... Uh made a rookie error and gave the game away early on in my introduction when I said I thought the game was fantastic. I do think it's fantastic. I was uh, probably needlessly hesitant coming into it uh, and I should have picked it up sooner. Uh, I think they have made changes they have taken away some of the unique aspects of the first game which could be frustrating but certainly made it feel more of a survival horror game than a straight shooter. And I did miss some of that to an extent but on the other hand, the streamlining of the stealth mechanics, the you know beefed up shooting, the some of the set pieces were over the top but enjoyable. I thought it was a, it was an excellent game, and uh, if I'm right, they're not planning to make another one, uh, and it would be a shame if they don't because I'd definitely play the next installment.
0: The last light was really impressive to me. Um, I I was really frustrated with Metro 2033 because. Um, a lot of the ideas in that game, a lot of the concepts were ticking all the right boxes for me, but the execution uh, just wasn't there. Whereas with Last Light, um, it it managed to capitalize on the ideas that I felt were strong in 2033. Is it flawless? No, there are some problems here. Um, The boss battles which we talked about are pretty terrible. the stealth, while mechanically enjoyable, um, in terms of, uh, uh, like a real world logic, it doesn't make any sense, uh, that these characters can't see you. I, I, I don't care how dark it is. When you're that close to someone, you know they're there. Um, but all of that stuff is easy for me to forgive when, there are so many moments in this game that stick out in my memory. The bridge sequence is just incredible. Um, I haven't seen anything like that in a game before. That's not hyperbole. I really, honestly haven't seen anything quite like that sequence before, and it's uh, and it's stuck in my head. Um, it's it's a flawed game, but a game that has so many moments that. Um, i find uh i find really memorable so yeah a a, a great game that has problems is my uh, final uh, final analysis of uh, last light
2: and summary i really enjoyed metro last light it's not a perfect game by any means um, as i said before the stealth is so overpowered as to break the immersion the game tries so hard to build and maintain but Aside from that, and a few minor points, I think that it gets a lot right. Um, We've been going on about how great the atmosphere is for quite a while, and you know that can't really be overlooked. But apart from that, I mean, it was pretty much my favourite first-person shooter of 2013. Um, And it's a shame that it kind of got overlooked a bit, considering stuff like Bioshock Infinite was coming out. And it's all the more impressive when you consider the fact that this small Ukrainian team with a budget um, allegedly supposed to be about a tenth of most of its competitors pretty much soundly kicked the ass out of them as far as atmosphere goes and improved so much um, over its predecessor as far as the gameplay went. The story overall is a little bit crazy but I highly recommend that anyone that likes first-person shooters and especially likes to soak in any kind of ambience from a game world. They should definitely check this game out.
1: I have a really conflicted uh, opinion of Metro Last Light, uh, and and not in a negative way, just that I understand all of the changes that were made following Metro 2033. I think a lot of the stuff that's been addressed, the mechanics of the shooting, the stealth mechanics, um, making the game a little bit more... Pacey in terms of you know a bit more action thrown in some set pieces that kind of thing, it all makes sense. It it really does. Putting in a bit more uh, interaction between Artiom and the people around him, rather than them just being uh, there to push the story forward, they they are there for character interactions with Artyom. All of it makes sense. It really does. It, it they are addressing issues that I know a lot of people will have had with Metro twenty thirty three and I did as well and Metro 2033 is a game that several people I know got to points where they felt they didn't want to continue or they were actually unable to continue perfectly possible in Metro 2033 to get to a situation where your gas mask had broken or you were out of filters and you had no way of getting to another one and could not go back to get one that was That was feasible. That nearly happened to me. I'm sure it happened to other people. So I understand all of the mechanical changes they've made in Metro Last Light. The problem is it makes it an easier game to play not in the difficulty sense but just in... It makes it a more approachable game to play, I guess is the better way to put it. Um, But it takes away a little bit of that edge a little bit of that realism a little bit of the tension to do with the gameplay. Fortunately, Metro Last Light can afford to lose some tension in the gameplay. It keeps a lot of the things, to, you know, the, the clean military grade bullets, um, having to monitor your battery level, your pressure gauge, um, having to take care of your filters and gas masks. It keeps all of those mechanics, which is great. They didn't drop those just because they were a bit atypical for a shooter. Um, and I think that's fantastic. And the reason that they can afford to lose some of the tension in the in the gameplay is that it keeps the tension and the atmosphere ratcheted so uh, not even high, just so really well finely tuned. They know they understand how the player is going to feel at certain points in the game. They understand when the player is going to need uh, four games. This is understand when the player is going to need a breather. They understand the tempo of the game. And how they are presenting the information to the player, uh, the emotion that goes with that, the, um, the 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 feelings of claustrophobia, the feelings of um, being lost or being helpless or just being vulnerable. They understand all those things, and they've demonstrated in Metro Last Light. That they understand how to to string them out to exactly the right degree without tipping almost ever into the point where it becomes too tense or it you know there's too little action or too much action I think and I think that's what really worked for me about the game yes the stealth was too easy yes you know some of the enemy AI bordered on the ridiculous taken on its own but in the context of the game what that did was allow me to just drink in not so much the story but the way the narrative was presented and the pacing of it etc i think that was done incredibly well and in all honesty i'd rather they did that than um than than tried to do to try to make metro 2033 again um with its faults i think it's it's better to to have a game that displays some other faults it's not a perfect game but it it shows they're addressing what they think the issues with, with their first attempt were and it shows that they can go on improving on this. Whether it's another Metro game, I, um, I noticed in the credits that um, the the game was uh, credited as being inspired by Metro 2033 and Metro 2035. I'm not familiar with the books. I believe there are more than just those two but it shows that whether it's going to be a Metro game or something different, 4A games are working just improving themselves game on game and i can't wait to see what they do next that's my takeaway from metro last light i'm excited by A games and what they bring to the table and what they can do and the ways in which they're going to move forward
0: okay that just leaves me to say thank you to uh, everyone on the podcast thank you james thank you darren and thank you brian um I hope this uh debut appearance on Cane and Rince wasn't too scary for you. <laughs> Brilliant. I'm pleased to
3: be I'm pleased to be on the other on the other end of the podcast for, for
0: <laughs> Okay, next time on Cane and Rince issue one hundred and twenty eight, Burnout and Burnout Two Point of Impact. Look forward to that. uh in the meantime we'll leave you with some lovely music.